Hello, welcome to this University of Brighton podcast. I'm Richard Newman. This week, Dr. Kevin Weich, Principal Lecturer in Atmospheric Science is my guest. Topical as we talk about one of the other effects of the coronavirus pandemic and the impact it's having on our environment. Hi, Kevin. First of all, how are you finding lockdown? Hi, Rich. I'm all right, thank you. Um, it's going okay. Um, yeah, I like to be out and about, so I'm not really enjoying it that much. But, you know, it is what it is and we've got to do what we've got to do. Yeah, regarding teaching and staying in, in contact with students and colleagues, how's that gone generally? Yeah, that's gone really quite smoothly. Um, I started testing uh, Microsoft Teams just before this whole thing hit. So um, one of my classes was up and running with it already. So, yeah, that's all gone quite smoothly, really. Yeah fairly pleasantly surprised with it i guess I and mean, it's been quite a, a, a decent enough response um from from students and, and colleagues i think people got used to it quite quickly yeah i think they did i mean the digital age has, has moved on really rapidly and we're all sort of everyone's got their own uh, smart device now so i think people were used to using all the various sort of whatsapp type platforms it's really similar so it's integrated really seamlessly yeah. Okay, right. Let's get stuck into the podcast. Um, let's start, I think, with um, getting to know a bit about you first. Um, so what are your main areas of interest? And uh, can you give us a brief summary of your background? Yeah, so I'm an, I'm an atmospheric scientist. Um, my background is, well, I did my first degree, my BSc degree in physics with space science. Um, and then I did an MSc specializing in atmospheric science before going on to do a PhD in physical chemistry, which was um, all about building instrumentation to monitor the Earth's atmosphere. So yeah, my research and my teaching is all about trying to understand the fundamental mechanics of the Earth's atmosphere. Where did your interest probably all stem from, from this? Probably all came from the, the whole space science thing. I wanted to be a rocket scientist originally. Right. Um, so my, my undergrad degree was a lot of um, modules around, you know, how to put things in, in space, how to put things in, in orbit and how we can use these satellites to monitor the Earth in its atmosphere. Um, so I guess, I guess I kind of got the, the bug from there, really, it's sort of space science side. Mm. Um, I started off um, at the top of the atmosphere, you know, working at the Earth space interface. Uh, looking at how um, you know extraterrestrial material ablates in the atmosphere and creates all sorts of metal layers and exotic stuff in the upper atmosphere, and slowly sort of uh, settle closer down to where uh, where I am nowadays, doing mostly things to do with air quality. Getting to know a little bit about the younger Kevin, then the whole interest in was there kind of like quite an interest in space when you were a child? Was that a big oh, interest growing up? Yeah, my, my dad was into astronomy and. Okay. Um, so I kind of grew up around that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I kind of always wanted to do that sort of, um, as I've always been a bit of a physics nerd, you know? So I've always kind of been interested in, you know, fundamentally how stuff works. And um, yeah, when I got the opportunity to do uh, my undergrad degree in physics and space science, it kind of all sort of uh, snowballed from there, really. Okay, so one of the main reasons we got you in, this week um, was to talk about coronavirus um, and the impact that's had on other aspects of life and air quality and the potential impacts 
that they're kind of having on, on one another. So first, it might be best to tell us about the advanced atmospheric research observatory up at Falmer before we get into asking some of the more fundamental questions, I guess. Yeah, so we're really lucky here in Brighton. Um, we had a project um, a few years ago now, back to 2015, I think, when the station was launched, um, where we had some money from the EU to develop a network of next generation air pollution monitors, uh, monitoring networks rather, um, where the stations would have, I guess, what you would consider research grade equipment in them rather than the standard sort of off-the-shelf sort of things that you'd find on the, on the street run by the councils and the government. To kind of push the boundaries and understand better the linkages between various sort of left-field type of air pollutants, like ultrafine particles, say, which are these nanometer-sized particles which are really, really penetrate and get right into the body, which aren't being monitored as standard. So to look at things like that and link it to help um, so yeah, we've got this uh, beautiful facility at the Falmer, which is observing our atmosphere in real time, looking at a whole range of different um, gases and particles, different particle metrics, giving us information um, every minute of the day about the atmosphere. Okay, so the first obvious question, and I realise we're going to go off in all kinds of directions from this, um, so I have a very complicated answer, but fewer vehicles on the roads, barely any planes in the sky, are we seeing a huge positive impact on air quality? We're seeing a huge change in the trace composition of the atmosphere. That's the first thing I'd say. I mean, we've all probably seen the headlines now, uh, which have stated that um, air pollution over China gone down by about 30, 40%. Air pollution over Central Europe, over 40%. What we're looking at here is nitrogen dioxide which comes from car exhausts and it comes from uh, burning of fossil fuels. It's the most common air pollution indicator. Nitrogen dioxide is high, air pollution is bad. Now, it's not quite as simple as that because the atmosphere is really, it's a real complex beast with thousands of different species in it and lots and lots of different reactions going on. So because we're reducing the concentration of one thing, doesn't mean we're reducing the concentration of everything. We're, we're shifting the balance of chemistry in the air. So we've just been, um, myself and some of my colleagues at um, a, uh, an environmental consultancy um, called Florum Nearby, have been working on a report for DEFRA, um, which we got in a few days ago, where we were looking at what's been happening in the southeast of the UK. So yeah, we've seen nitrogen dioxide levels go down here in Brighton, if we have a look at the satellite data, that tells us that um, the levels have gone down by about 40% compared to this time last year. Um, but if we look at other pollutants in the air, like ozone, which is a really bad respiratory pollutant, we see that's going up about, I don't know, about 20, 30% compared to this time last year. So it's not quite as simple a picture as, okay, we're reducing cars, we're reducing NOx, we're reducing air pollution. So this is another thing that we're looking into at the minute in that um, if we're reducing these big particles from the atmosphere that come out of your diesel exhaust and, and from um, your other, other um, like wood burning processes, things like that, um, domestic heating. If we're removing those sorts of things from the atmosphere, um, 
we're removing the ability for them to scavenge the tiny little particles which are more harmful. So we could be looking at a scenario where we're getting a, a burst of more um, harmful secondary pollutants in absence of these, these, these primary pollutants that we normally expect in the air. So, so yeah, it's a bit of a complex scenario. And, um, you know, it's, it's essentially what we've got now is one of the biggest, most, besides all, all of the, you know, the, the, the terrible effects of coronavirus, obviously, it's, it's, it's a really big, exciting experiment in the atmosphere to kind of test what is going to happen in the future if we do manage to clean up our air. Mm. So you're seeing that increase in ozone what influence mm -hmm. does what impact does, could that have does, would, would we see any effect what effects would we be seeing yeah ozone's a respiratory pollutant so if we're increasing uh, the concentration of a, of a respiratory pollutant um at a time when a lot of people are suffering from or vulnerable to a respiratory right. virus mm. then we could risk increasing the uh, morbidity and mortality related with COVID-19. Right. At the same time, is there any, um, is there any sort of link between uh, pollution? Um, so, so say we went back, we went back to before the coronavirus in lockdown was, was in effect. So is there any influence in the, in the pollution and the transmission of a virus? So is, the, is poor air quality contributing to transmission as well? So does it kind of work two ways? Yeah, there have been some really uh, interesting rapid studies that have been put out over the last month or so. Um, some have been linking um, particles in the air to being vectors for the virus, for carrying the virus. You know, these uh, nanometer-sized viruses um, don't remain suspended in the air on their own for particularly long. They live on surfaces, they live within liquid droplets. Um, so it's possible that um, PM10, that coarse particles, for instance, might be carrying the virus um, and might lead to um, you know a, a greater spread of it. Um, there are studies looking at the hist your historic exposure to air pollution and whether you're more or less susceptible to the effects of, uh, of the virus. So. Those people who have been historically um, exposed to higher levels of air pollution seem to be suffering worse than the virus. So as, as you'd expect, because a lot of air pollutants affect the respiratory system. Mm. Just drastic changes to to the to the air to, to the air quality it's just um, and, and you know we've been talking for such a long time about the need for urgent action on, on climate change. And here we are now with this unprecedented situation where you kind of got two sides to it, haven't you? Where you've got balances changing. And you've also got the human side as well, where, you know, thousands of people are losing their jobs because major transport businesses are struggling. So we're not seeing this sort of, see, there's been a, a push for acceleration, but this is, uh, is it a risk that this is almost too quick from the, the changes that you're seeing? Yeah, I'd say that we need to learn from this episode. We need to take as much data as we can um, and we need to um, analyse and understand it as rapidly as possible to try and inform policy going forward so that we um, direct ourselves into a, you know, the best possible scenario for a low-carbon future. The changes that you've seen, have they surprised you? 
No, not really. Uh, when you look at the, um, the amount of traffic that's come off the roads, if you look at the traffic numbers, then no, it doesn't really surprise me. Um, I'd be interested to see what happens as the summer goes on. Um, we get a lot more photochemistry occurring in, in the troposphere um, as we get into the summer. So it, it, the atmosphere becomes more chemically active. We get a lot more, um, a lot more ozone form, for instance, a lot, m many more secondary pollutants. So yeah, I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen going forward. We'll have to you know, look at our models, look at our data that we've got now. And, um, and and see what happens. We wouldn't hold you to any kind of predictions, Kevin. But uh, what what would be what would be your prediction when we all go back to this? Well, I guess something resembling normal. I mean, if these changes continue to happen and at the same sort of rate that they are, if suddenly everyone lockdown lifts and suddenly you know we're seeing cars being used a lot more, we're seeing flights, more flights happening again. Um, what could sort of happen chemically with that balance? where the balance has already shifted yeah it, it, it if we have a look at china right now which is returning back to some sort of normality you can see that those levels of no2 are coming up again um we, we, we don't know what that we presume they're going to go back up to how they were previously um but um i should imagine that what we'll get is a settling in the atmosphere quite rapidly back to um, the norm, what we've been expecting over the last few years. Okay. Um, away from coronavirus, can we um, just touch on the work you're doing regarding the links between air pollution and degenerative brain disease? Yeah. So what, what work have you been doing now? So um, I've been working with um, Dr. Alison Lansley from um, School of Pharmacy and Biological Sciences. And we've been um, looking at the ability of these so-called ultrafine particles. So um, the government currently monitor things called PM10 and PM2.5. So that's coarse particles and fine particles. Particles with a diameter of 10 micrometers. Um, so you're talking, you know, sort of like width of a human hair sort of scale, sort of beat, beat sand sort of scale down to two and a half micrometers. So ultrafine particles on a nanometer scale. So they're an order of magnitude, they're several orders of magnitude lower. We're going down to 10 to the minus nine now of a meter. Um, and they're so small, they get through the defenses of the respiratory system and they get into the bloodstream. And there have been linkages, been epidemiological studies linking exposure to these ultrafine particles and degenerative brain disease and various other diseases as well. So we've been looking at um, the ability of these ultrafine particles, once they get into the bloodstream, to pass across the blood-brain barrier um, into the brain and, and um, where they can have a, a, a range of different effects. Mm. How so, yeah, far? Sorry. No, we, go ahead. <laughs> Please no, finish, finish your sentence, it's okay. Uh, I was just gonna say, um, yeah, so, so far we've, um, uh, we've uh, set, up, set up a blood-brain barrier model and uh, we're looking at um, a range of different types of particles and different sizes. Um, and um, we're currently in the process of, um, uh, of looking at their ability to penetrate that, that barrier. Mm. So, I mean, 
it's a it's a really important issue and um you know a huge study i mean depending on what you find how can that be prevented then from that affecting people from from causing these these diseases yeah i think we need to learn a lot more about fine particles we need to learn more about where they're coming from you know we know a lot of them come from, from car exhaust but a lot of them are made in the atmosphere from atmospheric chemistry um, so we need to understand sources better, where they're coming from, and how we can um, either reduce them at source or mitigate at source, capture them at source. Um, there are a lot of, you know, really cool sort of next generation um, particle trap techniques be, be, being worked on. Um, but yeah, we need to understand more about where they're coming from, what they're made of, um, yeah, and how, how they distribute in the atmosphere. Mm. Going back to the climate emergency, I mean, the world has completely changed in these last few months. Um, the narrative, the news, the pushing for different campaigns. Um, you know, we've seen one huge conference, which was meant to happen this year, already postponed. Um, imagine you're deeply passionate about the fight against the climate change, Kevin. Um, we've seen various commitments made by cities and countries around the world about going carbon neutral, Brighton going car free in its centre, for example, just in our own area. Um, do you think in general there's enough willing to, to, to reach these targets or maybe accelerate them past the words? You see a lot of rhetoric um, and we've seen it for years. Do you think the world's waking up now? I mean, I guess you have to answer this in a sort of pre-coronavirus world, really. Was the world waking up? I'd say in areas very slowly, but the trouble is we're all, all of us, myself included, we're all heavily invested in those parts of our life that um, rely on processes that contribute to perturbation of the climate you know we all you know have these fossil fuel, fuel burning processes in our life whether it's from um charging our iphone using power from um you know coal-fired power station or whether it's getting in the car to go to work we're all really invested in these things um so i mean a lot of people are looking at studies that uh, you know look into um public perception and human behavior and where you know how willing people are to say, if you tell them one day, oh, look, it's going to be polluted in the city, please will you not drive when you get the buzz? You know, most people, you know, if they're, if they're late or, you know, if, if you know, they've got something particularly important to do that day, you know, they'd be like, oh, no, 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 it's fine. I'm, I'm just going to get a car. You know, people are more invested in their lives and their tech and, you know, their modern day comforts than, um, than, than, than the environment, really. Um, that's very broad that's very broad obviously a lot of people are incredibly passionate about it a lot of people would make these changes uh but on the whole the research says that a lot of people will um you know take the standard easy option so i guess it's you know are our measures going far enough should we have more harder measures you know we must do this you know we will stop doing that we'll regulate against this I think that's where we've come to, you know, we've got to come to the point where we need more, uh, more holistic, wider, more harder measures um, across nations. That could work, obviously, hugely well. What about um, the data, like the data that you're collecting that we see and really seeing the environment 
changing and the impacts that we're all having on on pollution if that data was almost simplified and was put out there a lot more often would people start to look at that and think goodness me this is this is too much i mean from like a, i'm i'm talking like on a more micro level here is everyone doing their bit rather than you know if we can't yeah. if if you can't look to your government for example in areas some countries and obvious ones um uh to, to do something about it you know we all need to do it ourselves yeah 100 percent. um we need to be better at communicating information about these environmental um environmental matters not just air pollution but but across the board um i think some things that some some anecdotal things in the air quality community that i find really interesting like they would say um um a factory in birmingham which was pumping out um you know a whole range of different pollution emissions no one said a thing one day they uh, by accident um released a pink dye from whatever processes they were doing into into, into the um into the system and the, the smoke was coming out pink and the council received so many complaints across the board from, from the public you know this what, what's going on this is polluting our air but there was no real change in composition of the pollutants so i guess with things like air pollution yeah we're invested in the stuff which generates it like our cars for instance but um it's also not very visible you know if a river gets polluted with a contaminant you know you can see it if there's a flood you can see it um it's harder to see air pollution so it's less um less higher in the public and political consciousness what about the changes that um we're seeing from younger generation as well then because this is becoming such a big thing for for younger people um of the obvious campaigning led by greta thunberg for example but how much optimism does that fill you with that people of that generation children that are you know the future are taking this so seriously yeah i think that's a great thing uh, you know you, you can see that you know, you, you can see that the, the, in the younger generations, we do things like the Big Bang Fair every year. We go and we, we do these um, sort of like kitchen experiments about the atmosphere with, with the kids. And um, you get that message from them that there's a level of concern even at that early age. Um, I think they're being taught about these environmental issues really well at school um, nowadays. I think that's being integrated really well. And yeah, there's a clear concern. So yeah, we're you know, passing this world world over to the next generation. So I think it's important we start grassroots up in in, um, in teaching them about you know, the, the mistakes that, that have gone so far. Mm. And then going back to the current situation we're in with coronavirus, um, you mentioned already about sort of behavioural, like, you know, research on people's behaviour, basically. And everyone's behaviour is changing now throughout this this pandemic do you think that people are going to review what they're doing a little bit more maybe cut out cut down on some things that they shouldn't be doing in terms of contributing to this there's been a lot of talk about you know this is the time to step back and reset and really think about what everyone's doing you know when we go back to some sort of normal yeah the optimistic part of me would like to think so yeah. You know, there's a lot we can learn from here, you know, and, and maybe there's uh, responsibility for, you know, scientists like ourselves to make sure we pull information out of the data that we're collecting and present that in a way that everyone can see and understand and, you know, take home messages from. Um, 
I'm not so sure. Personally, I'm not so sure. I think people are you know, so desperate to return to, to, ha to how the way it was. Um, then, you know, if you look again, if we go back to looking at China, you know, where restricting are easing, you know, the pollution levels are coming up again. So, yeah, well, let's wait, let's wait and see. Generally, though, what right now in May 2020, where's your optimism level about where the world's heading in this fight? Yeah, it's probably about about fifty percent in the middle of the scale right now because okay. I can see some good things happening. But yeah. obviously, on the you know the the global political scale, you know, on the on, on look at the big picture, you see some really alarming decisions that are being made. Um, so, yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, the, 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 there's some great research going on. We're really pushing the boundaries and understanding about the fundamental mechanics of the earth and its atmosphere and, and how we're impacting its climate um but yeah it's, it's our responsibility to make sure we inform the decision makers correctly um that they can make the best decisions do you think that once we've come out of this situation and we've all the world's been in some sort of lockdown and you know restricting pollution that the environment will be in a slightly better place yeah, um, I think overall, you know, for, for, for at least a time, the environment's going to come out as a, as a better place. Um, we're seeing, you know, various elements of, uh, of nature, you know, starting to recover the spaces already, um, you know, which is great to see. But um, yeah, well, I, I think what would concern me at the minute is, you know, everyone's eagerness to get back to, to normality you know, what's going to happen in that, in that gap and how are we going to transition from um, a, a state of complete lockdown to normality. So I think personally, I'd say that's, you know, we've got to stage that and we've got to manage it. We've got to monitor it, um, you know, across the spectrum, the political, the public, um, the environmental spectrum. Sure. We'll wait and see. And we'll uh, watch your research with a lot of interest as well and probably catch up about it um, shortly and figure out what's all come of it all so um, at the end of each podcast we ask um, some questions completely away from the uh conversation we've been having and we all need a bit of a lighter mood every now and again at this during these times so um okay first question what advice would you give to your younger self um i'd probably say that you can you can do whatever you want if you put your mind to it um you work hard put a big shift in every day you can achieve whatever you want, work hard, you know, be dedicated and you can achieve your aims. Good advice. Okay. If you could pick any other subject to study at the University of Brighton, what might it be? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I went on a field trip to support one of my, uh, one of my good buddies, Dr. Chris Carey, a few weeks ago before this all happened. And he, he does, um, teaches archaeology. And that was really fascinating. So I really enjoyed that. So possibly geography with archaeology or something like computer science for games or something like that. Because I guess I'm a big nerd at heart. So, uh, so something, like, something like that. <laughs> um, what positive changes have you experienced in your personal life through lockdown? Um, yeah, I kind of, as I hinted at, I guess I'm a bit of a social butterfly. So I like being out and about. Every, I'm not really enjoying the lockdown at all. but um, I guess not so much in, I guess it has sort of 
overlapped into my personal life, but obviously my research is ramped up. Um, I'm, you know, working, you know, in my spare time, in my personal time, sort of trying to keep on top of the measurements that are coming out of the lab right now. And um, yeah, so I'd say, you know, ramping up of the research really has been uh, the big change in my personal life. It's, it's more, more work in my personal life. <laughs> <laughs> a passion so that's a good thing you're working yeah, yeah. you're passionate about yeah. that's a good thing um okay pick a favorite place in sussex um i'm a big fan of national trust and just down the road from me is sheffield park um it's a really beautiful place it's a, a an old capability brown garden and parkland it's really really beautiful or uh or i guess just generally ashdown forest i like riding through the forest on a lazy sunday morning on my motorbike so probably either Sheffield Park or the forest. Okay. Um, when lockdown is lifted, if you could give visitors to Brighton and the area a tip of what to do or experience for a weekend, what would you suggest? Well, I don't know Brighton the city, city very well. Um, I guess if I say something in the city, I would say probably um, the Upper Garden Street flea market on a Saturday. Um, that's, that's something to experience. Um, Outside of the city, I would say maybe cook, cook me a haven, somewhere like that. We take our first years there in, the, in Welcome Week. And um, as it comes into view over the downs, you know, there's always this gasp of wow. And, you know, people who don't know the area don't realise how beautiful it is around here. So, yeah, there's, there's two for the price of one. <laughs> Good. Uh, tell us something interesting about you, which a lot of people may not know. Um... I, I guess talked about a little bit earlier. Not many people know that I started out um, in space science. I'm a physicist um, and, you know, started out looking at the Earth-space interface and um, the meteorites in the upper atmosphere, things like that. And before I came here to Brighton, I worked with the MOD working on counterterrorism stuff, um, looking at detection of... Um, chemical weapons and explosives and things like that and doing frontline triage for the troops on ground. Wow. Okay, cool. Very good. Um, final question then, if you could pick three people to host for a dinner party, they can be past or present, who would they be and why? Okay. So, um, I'd have to pick a physics hero being a physics nerd. Uh, so probably in modern times, Stephen Hawking, maybe, um, great person, uh, to have at the dinner table. Um, absolutely massive hero of mine um amazing amazing scientist um big rugby fan so probably have to pick johnny wilkinson um and i'm into my rock and metal music so i'd probably pick someone like joe elliott from death leopard someone like that but having said that having probably just like everyone else in the lockdown i've um uh binged on netflix tiger king so i'd probably have your exotic carol baskin and her first husband at the table <laughs> both of them all three, so that would be your three, sorry. Joe Exotic, Carol Baskin, and yeah. us. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I think need I think a mediator. To <laughs> <laughs> right. How to happen to him? <laughs> no spoilers for anyone <laughs> who hasn't watched it yet. Look, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. Really interesting stuff. You're most welcome. Good, good to be here. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe to our YouTube podcast playlist and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening and stay safe.